Hello, everybody. Um, I'm Kiora. Welcome to the Austro's webinar. In today's session, uh, we will talk about a project that reviewed uh, jurisdictional practices of, develop of developing supplements to the Austro's Guide to Road Design, and also devised a process uh, that will reduce the need uh, for supplements, including a pathway for adding supplement material into the guide. We have more than 700 people registered for today's session. Welcome to you all, and thanks for joining us. My name is Ekaterina, I'm a Senior Communications Officer at Austroads, and I will be moderating today's session together with Dr. Hafez Alavi. Uh, Hafez was the project manager for this project. He's one of our presenters today, and he will also uh, moderate the Q&A at the end of the session. I would like to start by acknowledging the Treaty of Waitani and Maori as the Aboriginal people of New Zealand. I also acknowledge the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as the custodians of the land from which we are broadcasting today. Um, Austroads is based in Sydney, and so today I'm on the land of the Gadigal people of the Euro Nation. I pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging, and their deep and ongoing connection to the land. A little bit about Austroads. Uh, we are the collective of Australasian transport and traffic agencies, and our focus is to support our member organizations to deliver an improved road transport network. Uh, the project that we are focusing on today was delivered under the Road Safety and Design Program, which is managed by Michael Newstick. A little bit of housekeeping. Um, our presenters will speak for about 40 minutes and then we will have a Q&A session for 15 minutes. The slides and the reports can be downloaded from the handout section of your sidebar, which you will find on the right-hand side of your screen. Um, we will play two pre-recorded presentations today. If for some reason uh, the videos don't play for you, uh, we have included the links uh, to those videos in the welcome message. Um, to send us your questions, please use the question icon on your sidebar. Um, if your question relates to any particular slide, include the number F of that slide in your message um, to help us answer your questions as best as we can. Also, let us know if you have any technical problems, uh, but just a quick tip, if you lose sound or your picture freezes, the issue is most likely with your internet connection. So closing your browser um, and rejoining the session by your email registration usually helps. And um, this session has been recorded and we will let you know when uh, the recording is available on our website. If you listen to podcasts, you can um, also find Austroads in your podcast app. Um, it gives me great pleasure to introduce our presenters for today. We will first hear from Dr. Hafez Alavi, who will introduce the project team. Um, Hafez has over 20 years of experience in the fields of um, road safety, injury prevention research, transport planning, and sustainable mobility in the public and private uh, sectors and in the academia. After Hafez, Dr. Rod Troutbeck will take us through the project and project outcomes. Rod is the principal of Troutbeck and Associates. He has been um, a researcher at the Australian Road Research Board and a professor of uh, civil engineering at Queensland University of Technology uh, before consulting. Following Rod, we will watch two pre-recorded presentations uh, to hear about jurisdictional experience of using the supplements platform. Um, we will hear from Mark Lenske, uh, Principal Engineer at the Department of Transport and Main Roads, um, and Phil Rossa, Specialist Engineer at the Department of Transport and Planning Victoria. Um, after that, we will have some time for your questions. Well, uh, welcome to you all and over to you, Hafez. Thank you very much, Ekaterina, um, and also your team for organizing this webinar, which is very exciting. Hello, Kiora, and welcome to you all participants of the webinar today. Uh, working on this project has been a terrific journey for us. As a project manager, I have had the opportunity to work with some of the most passionate and knowledgeable practitioners, stakeholders across Australia and New Zealand. This has been a privilege for us, and we thank you all for that. Specifically, I would like to thank, uh, thank our project control group and also road design task force and our program manager, Michael Newstick, for their uh, consistent support and insights to this project all along the way. 
those of you who have worked with Dr. Rod Troutback know how amazing he is and what a treasure trove of insight, knowledge, and experience he is. So I have had the privilege of working with Rod, and without further ado, I would like to bring you Dr. Rod, Rod Troutback. Over to you, Rod. Hello, can you hear me okay? Because uh, I'm talking. Hello, everybody, yeah, and yeah. thanks for joining this webinar. I would like to say to Hafez, um, I don't believe everything he says when he was talking about me, but nevertheless, I was pleased to be a part of the team. Uh, Rod, I'm sorry, we can't see you. Would you mind sharing your camera? Not at all. Oh, yep, thank you. Okay. Can you see the screen okay? Yes, now it's all good, thanks. Right, well, thank you very much. Uh, first, I'd like to describe the project outline and the current status of supplements. Uh, okay, the project was out, uh, um, outlined. It was undertaken the way you'd normally undertake a project of this sort. You'd look at current practice and knowledge you look for gaps and opportunity, and you then develop solutions and guidance. In this case, we looked at the current supplement contents and the supplement development. We used this information in two parts of the project. The first was to look in gaps in technical knowledge and guidance, and review research and supporting information so that we understand the upgraded guidance. We then recommended updated guidance content and we included this in the Osroads report, APR 693-23. We also use the supplement information on the second part of the project, look at gaps in information control and management processes, review information management processes, and then finally to recommend a cross-jurisdictional platform for managing supplements and their material. We published this in the Osroads report, APR 692-23. Well, what are supplements? I'm sure most of you would know about it, but just to reiterate, the additional design requirements by individual road agencies are included in the supplements. Supplements are considered to take a precedence over the guide. And this is, of course, a little bit of an issue because as they take precedence, so people are directed to the supplements before the guide in effect. And that takes some value away from the guide. Not all road agencies issue supplements. Some of the smaller agencies would tend to use the Osroads guide and not produce their own supplements. Producing supplements is, is, a, is resourceful and costly. And so the more we can eliminate supplements, so much the better. And the more we can eliminate supplements and harmonise the guide, so much the better. As part of the project, we classified the supplement content. We looked at every entry in the supplement and classified it according to these seven different um, classifications. The first is when the supplement clarifies the guide. When the, the second, when the supplement re refers to other jurisdictional documents, that is an effect that help to understand from a jurisdictional point of view uh, what other information needs to be taken into account. Number three, the supplement content provides additional background information. I've found a number of places in the supplements where it provides background information to the information in the guide, and it's probably one of the only places where you'll find it. So there were, at times, useful background information contained in the supplement material. Number four, the supplement contains and rec recommendations that the guide information be not used. That happened occasionally, and of course, it's a bit of a problem when, when a jurisdiction rec is recommending not to use the guide. We're trying to uh, eliminate that situation. The next one, number five, that the content is uh, suitable for inclusion in the guide. We'll, we'll move on to that later. And six, the con that new content that details a jurisdiction's practice. New content that's not in the guide, but it is in the jurisdiction's practice. Number seven, corrections to the text. 
Now, there may be more than one classification, particularly on long supplement sections. And so the, the number of sections classified or the number of classifications we get from that exercise doesn't equal the number of, of elements within the supplements. And if we look now across the, 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 um, the parts, you can see the two parts stand out. Part three, which is geometric design, and part 4C, which is interchanges. Part three was a particularly long part, it was about 390 pages, so it generated a lot of comment in the supplements. And so there was a lot of material that had to be classified. 4C is interesting because there was also a reasonable amount of, of information in the supplements. In fact, one jurisdiction had over 70 comments about that part. And you can see then that, that um, it creates a, a quite, a, quite a difference between that and the other parts. And if I could, should say that 4C was probably because there's a large number of, of um, practices developed for interchanges that have been uh, fairly local. And so people are wanting to continue with the practice. So there is a degree of harmonisation that should take place in 4C. I know that parts 4A, 4B and 4C have recently been upgraded. So this uh, assessment was done before that had taken place. Now, looking at the outcome of the classification process, 66% were clarifications or reference to local documents and practices. 7% were statements about not using a guide. 7% that shouldn't be there, in my view. 20% were for new practices or potential guide material. There were differences between the jurisdictions from the transport for New South Wales having the least um, supplement entries and the, the fewer supplements to TMR being more descriptive for local guidance and having more uh, supplement material and, and of course then longer supplements. And it's also interesting to see that TMR had a long history of producing uh, guidance in road design so it's, it's reasonable to expect that they might have had longer supplements but appreciate now they're working towards um, decreasing the size of the supplements. Sections in a part that have multiple supplement entries were highlighted as these needed attention in the guide and illustrated a gap in the knowledge. So we looked down the, uh, the each, each part of the part, each section of the part and to, us, to identify when multiple, multiple jurisdictions had a supplement entry for that, that section. As part of the initial stages, we had a questionnaire to the project control group, the PCG and others. We we're looking at information that they might give us or guidance they might give us about uh, supplements, about the guide, about the interaction between the supplements and guide. And here are the conclusions they came to. First of all, supplements should not make minor changes to dimensions. So uh, they're mindful of the fact that some supplements make minor changes and they're saying which shouldn't happen. Supplements should not overcomplicate design procedure. If it's too detailed and contain too many terms, it makes design procedure quite difficult. In some respects, people try to be more specific about the design procedure and more specific about the values, in which case you make the, the, the guidance less of less of a guide and more of a specification. Our, our um, feeling was, or the, the feeling of the project control group, is that we shouldn't overcomplicate design procedure. They said the supplements are required if the context of the road or the environment is substantially different. We'll get to that later. And they also said if a jurisdiction requires additional steps to a procedure. The guide has a basis of, of carrying out the, uh, um, the design and the analysis or the evaluation of a particular parameter for design and gives a procedure. But sometimes that procedure needs to be extended or, or um, uh, made clearer. And so a jurisdiction might require additional steps to a procedure. Finally, jurisdiction should strive to eliminate supplements. This is the whole essence of this project. And it's doing that, the requirements in the guide if the requirements in the guide cannot be adopted, then what you should do is adapt them. And that's uh, 
That was the first conditions from the uh, first statements from the project control group. They also spoke about departures from the guide. So if a jurisdiction wants to depart from the guide, there's a number of things they should do. Firstly, departures should be justified. And you do this even if the justification of the material in the guide is limited. You can't find the justification for the material in the guide. But I believe that if you want to depart from the guide, you still have to provide justification. The justification includes research reports, trial outcomes, case studies, internal review, engineering assessments. Something to demonstrate that you've thought about the fact that you're going to depart from the guide and you've got some reasons for it. The departures should be documented to check to illustrate the significance and the effect of the departure. It's not, it's not appropriate just to make a departure without understanding just what effect it's going to have. Does it affect all designs? Does it affect only a small number of designs? Is it a significant departure or an insignificant departure? It should also be based on the same principles. If you depart from the guide, don't depart from the basic principles in the guide. You might have different values, that's okay, but you shouldn't depart from the same principles in the guide. Now, now directing ourselves to the guide. This is what the, the project control group said about the guide. It should be inclusive. By that I mean, it should include information that relates to a region of Australia or New Zealand. It was said before we started the project, or as we were doing the early parts of the project, that if it didn't, uh, if, the, if the guidance didn't apply to all of Australia and New Zealand, it shouldn't be in the guide. We're taking a different stance now and saying we should be inclusive. It could be good information that's applicable to large parts of Australia and New Zealand and, and should find a place in the guide. The guide should inform the reader of different jurisdictional requirements. We do that now. We say in the guide that you have to, you should, that says the designer should refer to jurisdictional requirements. We say that frequently and that's appropriate. We should not repeat information in other guides or other parts, but we should refer to it. The notion is you don't repeat information because that makes it hard to maintain. It should be written for experienced designers, but also those wishing to become experienced. At times the guide is written so that it's it's written for the experienced designer. And I think we need to make sure that, uh, and this came out of the project control group, I think we should make sure that we write for those wishing to become experienced. Doesn't mean a completely inexperienced person, but it does mean those wishing to become experienced with some basic knowledge of engineering and design. As well, we should include the basic principles of design before the detailed design numbers. My belief is a rational design could be, could be produced from the basic principles. Understanding the basic principles helps you to understand and, and design effectively for different contexts. Document the source and reasons for including information. Somewhere on the line, you need to know the source, you know why it was put in place, the value of it, the, the quality of the information. And if you take information out of the document, out of the guide, then you ought to do the same. You ought to know the reasons for it and so on. And finally, the design requirements um, are assisted or, or simplified design requirements uh, are assisted in harmonisation. I now want to move towards the recommended changes into the context of the guide that's reported in the OSROADS report, APR, 693-23. The recommended changes to the guides text consists of these seven different types of changes. They're all based on the supplement con content classification and included corrections. They were typically typographical. Minor changes improve the text or guidance. A word is included. Um, Something is not quite as, as uh, uh, correct as it should be. It's not a correction, but it is a minor change. And minor changes improve the clarity. These need some consideration by the Road Design Task Force. And I re reinforce this that, that um, a lot of what we have suggested in this report needs consideration by the Road Design Task Force 
they are the custodians of the guide and as such they should be they're the ones that decide whether or not a change should be made this report has made recommendations but by no means are these recommendations um, necessarily needed to be uptaken by the road design task force the last four comments here are the ones we're going to concentrate on this in this uh, webinar significant changes requiring discussion and review new sections from, from the supplements a summary of a, of a new section and new sections with limited applicability i'll now move to these different changes the changes were evaluated using three terms from predominantly relevance the need to include the change in or inclusion impact the significance of the change or inclusion and effort the resources required to implement this change or inclusion at times we found that there was an urgency for a change developed from a serious injury or fatality it's not always possible to measure what the uh, safety outcome will be from a, from a um, design change or even from some elements of design and for that I, I would say that we need to be careful not to consider an individual event like a serious injury or fatality requiring a design in our a change in our design requirements but rather we need to consider whether it is a systemic problem and and uh, you need to make that decision so, and if it is then there's some urgency to change the guide and in fact this does reflect on some of the changes that were were um, indicated in in this report this slide is a map of the changes and the vertical scale is effort it ranges from minimal effort no effort up to significant effort the horizontal scale shows relevance and impact from moderate relevance and, and moderate impact through to high relevance and then impact going from low medium and high moderate and high and we mapped all the different sorts of changes on the scale the light green section which is light green in my screen are those things which could be easily undertaken the second was the blue uh, zone which will take a little bit more effort but should be undertaken and finally you've got um, things that would, would have take quite a significant amount of effort and therefore um, are left to the third stage of of, um, of work so just to get some notion about if you like just what um what efforts required and what uh, and what impact it's going to have um so we've mapped it out you could say that uh, that anything with a high relevance high impact should be done first but sometimes it's it's a matter of resourcing i'm going to give you an example of a significant change we're talking about a compound curve which consists of two curves with different radii a broken back curve has a straight section between the two curves as a driver travels on the larger radius curve and then to the to the smaller radius curve he or she will experience a change in side friction demand the basic principle should be to manage the side friction demand however the use of a radii or the ratio of the radii is simpler the supplements were very different Main Roads Western Australia, Department of Transport and Planning in Victoria, and Transport for New South Wales used a ratio of radii in their supplements. TMR used a change in side friction on successive curves as a way of, of uh, understanding the, the radii at these, on these curves, these broken back curves and compound curves. The project recommendation was to establish a compromise of the different approaches for a harmonised position. A ratio of the radii was used because it was used in most uh, supplements and it's simple. Whilst it's recommended in this report, and again, I wish to make it clear that it requires discussion for road design task force meeting. Here's an example of a new section. It was a median turning lanes and two-way right turn lanes two-way right turn lanes was based on the short section of text in the TMR supplement to part 4a is recommended this additional text be included in section 7.5 urban right turn treatments and divided roads 
the recommended text was it was the content in the TMR supplement. So it's taken the supplement material and recommended that it be placed directly into the guide. An example of providing a summary of a new section, the notion was that sometimes we don't need to or should um, put all the material in a supplement into the guide. And we might be, um, might be advantageous to put a summary of the uh, process in the guide and then have the additional material in some other location. The TMR supplement contained a section on design of floodways, which described cross-sectional details and basic design principles. Although the supplement section is not particularly long, a summary was considered to be appropriate as the approach taken by different road agencies might differ. So the proposed guidance includes the basic principles and a reference to the TMR supplement for further information. Now, I, I don't know whether or not this is a, a reasonable thing to do. It it's, uh, was recommended because I was wanting to recommend it for the, for the uh, task force to, to consider. Because in this case here, we're referring to a, a supplement. Should the guide refer to a supplement or not? I'll leave it to you to decide. Issues involving significant research. There's a list of items here that were included in the guide, in the uh, report. And I'm going to go through these now. Lane and shoulder widths on rural roads. The guidance for supplements for lane and shoulder widths is varied. Some supplements are based on the roads classification. Some include traffic volumes. Some have values for low volume roads, but they should be some harmonisation of these values. Better slopes are discussed in parts three and six. The guidance should include the basic principles and values for selecting a barrier slope, and they should be consistent across parts three and six. The consideration should include motorist safety, safe and efficient maintenance, stability, economics, landscaping and vegetation. Side friction and minimum curve radius for cars and trucks. There is a difference in the supplement material on what's required for minimum curve radius based on what's the appropriate side friction for both cars and trucks. And I think we should try and work towards a harmonised approach. You could ask, do we, do we design for cars and trucks or cars only or trucks only or what? Just what do we do and when do we include these, um, these values for the different vehicle types? Extended design domain values. There's always an issue of what should the extended design domain values be in comparison to the normal design domain values. And there's always a tendency to try and make the, the extended design domain values more and more um, divergent from the normal design domain values. It's so easy to say, why don't we decrease this value by a little bit? Why? It, it, it worked when we had a, um, a 1.2 metre dimension. What about a 1.1 metre dimension? And so it's very hard to, very easy, sorry, to, to um, extend the design domain values further and further away from the normal design domain values. And I think that we need to consistently look at ways of um, appreciating what the extended design values should be and re-evaluating them on occasions. Right turn treatments at intersections, particularly rural intersections, needs to be uh, as, um, researched. I think we can do better than what we've done now, particularly at low volume intersections. Acceleration distances. We need to appreciate just how fast uh, different vehicles are driven or accelerated, if you like. We need to understand that because it'll help us to, in design of uh, uh, acceleration lanes and, and uh, auxiliary lanes and so on. And, as, and uh, there needs to be a little bit more, a little bit more research into quantifying the acceleration performance of vehicles, the used acceleration performance of vehicles. Shared path widths. 
The issue with shared path widths is that the width of the path, a path affects the interaction between users. So it's not a simple matter of specifying a shared path width without understanding what the interaction between um, users will be. And this leads on to the next issue about um, the interaction bet and between the operation of a road and its geometric design. An inappropriate curve radii can result in the need to manage a bottleneck that impacts the operational performance of a freeway and a motorway. So the connection between the operation of the road and its geometric design needs to be researched further for a number of different road elements. New parts or sections. There's three here, but uh, you, you might consider there to be more. Design of roads to accommodate multi-combination vehicles includes requirements for wider lane, um, lane widths and perhaps shoulder widths, minimum turn radius, intersection design and so on. There's a design of low volume roads, those with, with a, a traffic volume of less than 250 vehicles per day. Includes intersection design, pavement, and shoulder widths. It's particularly important for rural roads. Design of temporary roads around road uh, work sites. The reduced period of operation of work sites means that they have lower risks. Lower risks because it doesn't extend for a, long, a longer period. How do we take this into account in design requirements? Do they need the same requirements as what we'd apply to a permanent road? I'm now going to move to the uh, platform for managing supplements to the guide. This is in the, the OSROADS report, APR 692-23. Supplements are required if the context of the road and the environment is substantially different and unique. And the, the uniqueness is the, the quality that indicates whether it should be in a supplement or not. The jurisdiction requires additional steps to the procedure, as mentioned before, and the jurisdiction needs to refer to local publications. A new and emerging design of zone process is being field tested, and, 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 and that could be done before it's included in the part seven. So in other words, you can use supplements to build, evaluate, or test a new design or emerging design or, or design process before it's included in the guide. Objectives of the platform are to, to eliminate supplements or reduce their length, to manage the movement of material from the supplements of various parts of the guide, to ensure that information in the guide and the supplements is consistent, contemporary, evidence-based and world-class. The qualities we would expect from the guide and the same qualities that should be in the supplements to develop harmonised guidance through the adaption of the current guidance in the guide, and to develop expertise across the jurisdictions and road designs and in consultancies and in universities. The tasks to be undertaken within the platform are these, six different tasks. The first one is to classify the supplement entry. The second one is to decide whether the supplementary is inappropriate. The third one, third task, does a supplementary entry add value? Fourth one, is a supplement entry consistent with the principles in the guide to road design? Task five is to document the and the justification of the supplement entry. And number six is to document and quantify the outcomes from this application or the use of the supplement entry. And we'll go through these one at a time in the next slide. First of all, classify the supplement entry. Specified four different classifications initially. Decide whether the, the supplement entry is a clarification, a reference to local guides, a background to the guide, or a guide correction. Now for the first three, I'm saying, and the report says to include that into the road agency supplement. If it's a correction, best not to put it into a supplement, but certainly inform the road design task force 
and then ask the port to be corrected. Otherwise, it could be a new design guidance. New design guidance for a new road or, or context, or extended design guidance for a new road or existing road type or road context, both need to continue to be further evaluated to establish whether it's a useful supplement entry. First of all, we need to eliminate conflict with the guide. So the first question is asked in task two is, does the guide contradict the, guide, the AGRD guidance? Now the notion is, it shouldn't contradict it, but, and if it does, seek it to harm, get a, seek for, for a harmonised position at the Road Design Task Force, seek to have it a um, harmonised um, position. And if you can't do that, you might abandon the, the uh, supplement. And if you can do that, well, obviously you revise the supplement. And that leads to the next step. You ask the question, does the entry repeat guidance in other parts? And if it doesn't, that's good. If it does, then just refer to that other guidance. Don't bother putting it into a, a supplement. And um, in which case you can move to the next stage. The next stage is an assessment of the supplement entry, a further assessment. And you ask the question, does it add value? That's task three in the, in the list I gave earlier. And if it doesn't, then revise the supplement. It should add, add uh, value and you might have to abandon the supplement. Otherwise, you'd ask the question in task four, is the entry consistent with the, the uh, principles in the guide to road design? And if it's not, then revise the principles, extend the principles, ensure that the principles of the, in the road design uh, guide, road, guide to road design, uh, inclusive. And if you can't do that, well, I suggest you abandon the supplement entry. And finally, if you can, then we, we um, move to the next, next section. This is to document the, the supplement entry. Um, the supplement entry should be documented and it should include local and international research papers which provide a justification for the entry. It, this could be trial out, control designs, processes, argued engineering statements, established design requirements, the local and international research papers are all able to provide justification for the supplement entry. But if you can't justify it, then you should really question whether or not it's a supplement entry. Task six is to document and, and quantify the outcomes of applying the supplement. How useful is it? What's the outcome of using it? Does it apply to every design? Does it only apply to a few designs? You can use a description if necessary, but the notion is to understand just how extensive the supplement entry is. That will actually help us uh, as a community to appreciate whether or not it's, um, it moves to the guide. And it gives some notion about um, the supplement material um, and its use before it's published in the supplement. The review of the guide's content. Information to the guide comes from three sources, comes from predicted future needs, for instance, like uh, design for autonomous vehicles, international local research, which demonstrates that new guidance is necessary, but also from supplement material. These three things, and there could be more, that are used to um, propose new guidance. So we document the guidance, we evaluate the guidance and review it. We have a closed loop system of, of um, looking at new material, documenting and evaluating and review. So in, in effect, guidance is not static and needs to be reviewed. Supplements are an important source of additional guidance and should be used to assist in developing the guide. There is an interaction between the guide and supplements. There's the inter jurisdiction supplement material and the OSRAD's guide to road design, and there's a push-pull action. Jurisdictions should push their information into, this, into the guide, 
and Osroads and the task force should pull information, the relevant information from supplements into the guide. So we should have two groups trying to increase the amount of material in the guide in order that it's more inclusive. And so I've just called it a push-pull action. So what are the expected outcomes from using the platform? Well, I believe, and this is what documented in the report, it, it will maintain and grow the, the guide's authority. The guide becomes the authoritative document. It's a go-to document for road design in Australia and New Zealand. It's useful in making the guide more inclusive, in harmonising guidance, and encouraging both the road agency and the road design task force to move information from supplements to the guide. We have to get out of the notion if it's in the guide and I want to make a change to it, I just write a supplement. What you need to do is to encourage information to be in the guide that is acceptable to you. We should eliminate, uh, it should eliminate guides, uh, eliminate and will reduce the length of supplements. Importantly and lastly, it should eliminate obsolete guidance. Part of, of maintaining a supplement is to try and make sure that the information in a guide is world-class, contemporary, up-to-date and so on. So to eliminate obsolete guidance is important. And with that, my last slide in my presentation. I thank you for listening. Now over to you, Katrina. Thank you, Rod. I will now play the videos. Hello everyone. By way of introduction, my name is Mark Lansky and I work for the Department of Transport and Main Roads, TMR for short, in Queensland as a principal engineer in the Engineering and Technology Road Design Unit. One of my responsibilities is to manage the harmonisation process between the Austroads Guide to Road Design and the Road Plane Design Manual Volume 3, also known as the TMR Supplements to the Austroads Guide to Road Design. My short presentation today will focus on the TMR experience of using the platform developed for managing supplements. As you're no doubt aware, in May 2023, the Austroads Guide to Road Design Part 4 series update was published and as such triggered a review of TMR's Part 4 series supplements. I recently used the platform to review TMR's Part 4 and 4A supplements. The scope of my presentation will focus on three key observed benefits of using the platform when reviewing and testing guidance. One, no ambiguity. Two, application of consistent practices. And three, providing a way to communicate. No ambiguity. The platform eliminates any ambiguity by defining the objectives for managing supplements. These objectives are shown on the slide. To eliminate supplements or reduce their length, to manage the movement of material from supplements to various parts of the guide, to ensure the information in the guide and supplements is consistent, contemporary, evidence-based and world-class, to develop harmonised guidance through the adaptation of current guidance in the guide, to develop expertise across jurisdictions in road agencies, consultants and universities. Having these documented objectives provides clarity in what TMR should be aiming to achieve with regards to its supplements. The second observed user benefit is the application of consistent practices. The platform does this by essentially setting six tasks, classifying a supplementary, asking the following questions. Is the supplement entry appropriate? Does the supplement entry add value? Is the supplement entry consistent with the Austroads Guide to Road Design principles? Documenting the justification of the supplement entry and documenting and quantifying the outcomes of the application of the supplement entry. By following these six tasks and using the flowcharts embedded within the platform document, TMR will generate consistent results and improve process transparency. The last observed benefit is providing a way to communicate. 
The flowchart presented here shows a way for supplement material to be moved into the guide to road design should it meet the objectives and process requirements of the platform. It also shows other mechanisms for moving material into the guide to road design and a review loop. The TMR supplements have a lot of relevant and harmonizable guidance in them. The platform documents a process for this information to be moved into the guide to road design, which will in time reduce the need for practitioners to check multiple sources of guidance. It is early days now, but TMR is optimistic that the process will provide a positive outcome going forward. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Phil Rosser from the Department of Transport and Planning, Victoria, and I'd like to briefly share how we have used the results of the Austroads project, SRD 6319. Part of my role at the Department of Transport and Planning is to review and update the supplements to the Austroads Guide to Road Design. We received a draft version of the report in the latest stages of de developing and updating our supplement to the Austroads Guide to Road Design Part 6. And historically within our supplement, we've tried to categorise the entries of the content to help focus the content. We also provided a draft version of our supplement to the Austroads project team for their review and to test out the methodology in the report. We found the draft report to be helpful for reviewing the content of the supplement and we made significant changes to the draft version before it was published. We're currently in the process of updating our supplements for the part four series. Now, historically, it's difficult to remove content from supplements and uh, information has been recorded over years and supplements tend to grow rather than become smaller. We see the results of the project SRD 6319 as adding huge value both to states and helping managing their supplements, as well as providing great benefits for the road design community in making more user-friendly documents. In addition to this, we see that SRD 6319 will help with harmonisation of the supplements and the Austroids guides across the states. We've initially been using the results of the project in our review phase of the DTB supplements, and we'll use the results of the project in going forward in developing content for the new supplements. Thank you. Thanks so much everyone for uh, watching the recordings and now we'll have time for your questions um, and I invite Rod and Hafez to join me and over to you Hafez. Oh fantastic, thank you Katrina. Wonderful presentations on behalf of the presenters. We've got a number of questions. I start with uh, one question for you Rod. This is about one of your first observations in this project. You talked about some of the supplements or the guide is not based on sometimes good evidence or evidence. And then you discuss about the concept of having evidence or first principles behind any change or new supplement. So could you please uh, you know, expand on that and you know, the importance of evidence or first principles in developing new guidance? Well, there are two different points really. Um, any guidance you should have should be based on some basic principles. And if you're looking for lane width, the vehicles must be able to negotiate within that lane. And, and um, they need space between, vehicles need space between different road users or different, different sorts of vehicles. So that's a basic principle. What we're also saying here is it needs to have some level of justification, some level of, of um, information that supports the values within the within the guide it's very easy to say well if you take um reaction time what's an appropriate reaction time for a driver well it depends on the situation but we need to have some basis for saying this is an appropriate reaction time because that affects side distances and so on so it's a matter of um, having some background documentation for it 
Now, if, well, this becomes important when you're talking about a supplement because a supplement is a change to the guide. And as such, what you need to do is be able to say, well, I'm changing the guide because I have this better information or additional information, which for this context or these requirements, I need to make a change. So it's about having evidence rather than not having just having a feeling that's a good idea. 100%. And also we have emerging issues, emerging evidence, and that landscape is changing that we need to respond to. I've got a question here, and I think this is this might need some good clarification. The question is about a uh, great presentation and initiative. Thank you. What is the time frame expected to adopt a harmonized approach to road design and delete the need to refer to supplements? So if I paraphrase the questions, are we deleting supplements or they need? Well, the first thing is that supplements, in my mind, will not go away. They will always have supplements. They'll always have slight differences in what um, jurisdictions will want to do. If simply for no other reason that they're referring to other documents outside road design, which have an impact on road design. And those documents could be local documents that have an effect. The time frame for, for making these changes is is a difficult one it's not my business to say how long it's going to take and i know that they're, they're fairly difficult tasks in any case but what i would say is that we need to work towards harmonization we need to work towards minimizing supplements and talking to some of the people in the road agencies who who are taking great steps to minimize supplements you can see that it's an advantage and if you take a, a, a helicopter view of the of the guidance across the across Australia and New Zealand, I'm sure it would make it easier for consultants and for everybody if we had one set of uh, one set of guidance and so one one set of the the guide to road design and not the guide to road design and supplements. No, I, I totally agree. In this project, we have identified several reasons and rationale for practitioners to develop, you know, endemic or supplements for their jurisdiction. So that those reasons, I don't think they're going to go away in short time frame. So I think the point is that that. So we have one question that talks to the real life of a practitioner in a jurisdiction. But the question is about sometimes a jurisdiction is more quick on their feet to change a supplement to address emerging needs. The question is about we have like Austro's guide that they sometimes take longer to change and to be adopted. So what is the situation? Should we wait for Austro to? Yeah. I see. Um, you, you, the point sort of rests on the fact that some supplements could be easier to change in the guide. And that's, that's debatable, but it's also understandable. And if it is, then putting it in a supplement is, is useful. It allows people to review that practice and that, those designs. It allows to field test that information before it goes in the guide and for people to get an appreciation of just what effect it has. All sorts of um, attributes that I was uh, bringing out in the, in the, in the reports. Mm. So, so mm. it depends. You know, everybody would ask for to have things done instantly. But in effect, it's about doing it in a timely fashion, as, as fast as uh, resources and can allow. Yeah. So uh, the next question is from myself. So I'm thinking about we uh, like in this project we have developed a platform for harmonization, and this platform needs to be practiced to be understood better. Maybe if there are gaps in it, you are understood. So. Uh, we have talked about evaluation of the platform. Could you please you know, describe how you see the life of this platform in the next two, three years? What will happen to this platform? Well, um, like any sort of practice, any sort of information, it's, it should be refined over time. Don't expect that what you say today will last forever. We work on we work on ideas, we work on the ideas of others. This is exactly the same. It will be refined, the process will be refined. What the notion is, is to work towards moving information into the guide so it's more inclusive. So it's a process that is encouraging, 
it will it the process might change might get better ways of doing some parts of it but the basic bones of it i think are there mm. so the next question is about uh, the consultation we have done in this project I, I can answer this question but also i would like Yura to add to my answer so the question is about has consulta consultation been undertaken with all the states and agencies in the development of this process and will it be adopted by all these agencies? So two questions. Yes, we have consulted all the jurisdictions and stakeholders as a part of this, or how many we, can, we could access to. Also, we have worked with a couple of them to actually use the platform now, and the uh, presentation from Mark and Phil was in those lines. Now, to the second part of the question, will all agencies and jurisdictions adopt this platform that is something that we need to work towards, and that's potentially part of Oscars and Road Design Task Force to do that. So that's my read of this question, Rod. Any comments to add to that? I think I think Osroads would be trying to encourage the notion of, of uh, fewer supplements, and and um, it's it's in my mind, it's um, it will gradually get there. I mean, it's it's yeah, I'm quite confident that we'll we'll gradually it'll gradually be used in some form or another. But I don't, okay, I don't so never expect that my work will last forever. Although some, some work that I've done in the, in some years ago is still in the Osroads guide. So maybe yeah. it does last for a long time. No, I, I too wish I was Shakespeare, but no, I mean, not Shakespeare. Yeah. <laughs> so the next question, Rod, is about, we talked about practices, guidance, guidelines, supplements that are designed by potentially like jurisdictions, government. There are practices in the industry that can be quite useful. So what is the importance and role of guidance guidelines developed by the industry and adopting them in our guidance? Um, this project was about supplements. Um, it might be logic to say that you could extend that to other other form of information, but that wasn't part of the project. And um, I will leave it to um, to others to decide what they might do with with guidance that comes from from other groups. I will say though that there's likely to be good guidance that's not in the supplements, that's that's in industry, and and um, I don't think anybody would say well we would ignore it but how it's taken into account is not, uh, not part of this project. Fantastic. Um, so we have a question, and I really want to complement this question with one of my observations. So the, this question is about uh, one of our participants still struggles with the road width section. It does not take into account the world's best practice, for example, uh, NACTO, which is looking to three meter urban language, and we are still you know, doing a 3.5. So mm -hmm. the question I can complement with is, we have active travel, pedestrians, cyclists using urban environments, and we're providing for them more. Then we mm -hmm. have large freight vehicles that are changing across Australia and New Zealand and globally. So how the guidance could be improved to address these emerging societal needs or changes? Okay. Um... It's a question that might be answered in other projects. It's not a question for this particular project, but I do understand the, the concern. The concern is that uh, the um, a, a good part of the guide to road design currently addresses rural roads and some urban roads. It doesn't address every road and every street. But that's what we're doing in this project is to look at how we can in, increase the information in, in the supplements to the guide to road design and include the information into the guide. Um, so this is the last question and I might be sort of, you know, like tapping into your knowledge and expertise, not just about this project. So the question is about, we have seen these, uh, you know, harmonization for Austro's guide, guide to road design. What about Austro's guide to road safety, traffic management, do you envisage or do you feel that we have similar need for harmonization? Mm. Um, I don't want to comment on the other guides because we didn't look at the other guides in, in detail. 
but standing back a bit, you can say that harmonisation of any guide and the material that's around the around the uh, jurisdictional practice jurisdictional practice should be harmonised in the guide. You could also say that information contained in any one guide should be in harmony with the information in other guides, and that's where I would like to leave this question. Oh, that's actually a great observation. Can I emphasize that we have traffic management, road safety, road design? What is the relationship between those? We leave this question open because we might have answers for this coming from other projects. Having said that, I want to thank everyone for sending the questions. And Rod, thank you very much for your answers as insightful as ever. Thank you very much. Hand it over back to you, Ekaterina. Thanks so much, um, Hafez and Rod. I only have a couple of slides left. Um, as you can see on the screen, we have some sessions scheduled for October and November. If you're interested in any of them, please uh, visit our website and register. Um, and as we close out today's session, a questionnaire will pop up on your screen. Please take a couple of minutes to send us your feedback. Uh, it really helps us to know what you liked or didn't like about the session and what suggestions you have for future webinars. Um, once again, today's webinar is being recorded and we will send you the link to the recording when it's published on our website. Thanks again, everyone. Stay well and safe and enjoy the rest of your day. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you.